0: This episode of The Moment is sponsored by DraftKings. Start this football season by winning $2 million. This isn't fantasy as usual. This is DraftKings. Use code MOMENT to play free for a shot at $2 million in the week one $10 million millionaire maker. Go to DraftKings.com. And by Audible.com, a leading provider of spoken audio information and entertainment. Listen to audiobooks wherever and whenever you want. Get a free audio book of your choice and a 30-day trial today when you visit audible.com slash moment. And by Braintree, if you're working on a mobile app and searching for a simple payments solution, check out Braintree. With one simple integration, you can offer your customers every way to pay, period. To learn more, and for your first $50,000 in transactions, fee free, go to braintreepayments.com slash moment. The following podcast contains explicit language. Hey, this is Brian. The show's going to start in a second. Today's guest is Peter Zizzo. Peter's one of my oldest friends. We met when we were 13 years old. And um, in a way, this conversation is two old friends getting together and, and talking. And I give you his uh, bona fides as soon as the, the show starts. He's a successful uh, songwriter and producer. But uh, when I was a kid, uh, when we were kids together, Peter was a renowned guitar player. Uh, in, in circles that cared about this sort of thing, he was incredibly celebrated at a very young age. And the effect that that had on, on Pete and on those around him had a very long tail. And um, in having this conversation, I learned a bunch of stuff. A bunch of stuff from my childhood suddenly made sense to me. And I felt like the same thing was happening with Peter. Uh, There's a really personal episode in a way. And um, I don't exactly... Uh, I don't apologize for that. But I just want to sort of say, um, this isn't a language warning, but it's sort of like an uh, emotion warning. So... Um, Warning, uh, it, it, there, it could get dewy in here in a second. All right, Peter Zizzo coming up. Hey, this is The Moment. I'm Brian Koppelman. Thanks for listening. My guest today is songwriter, producer, Peter Zizzo. Peter, how are you? If I was any better, I'd be twins, I think. All right, Pete, we don't go in for that kind of fall to roll on this show. <laughs> The, for the cheap quick laugh, <laughs> the sly line. So you think that's a quick laugh? Some people are going to get that right away? I think people have already turned off the show.
1: Good. That's, that's good. But let's, let's, just talk, guess, let's just talk. If I have to guess, I think
0: that's what they did. So, hey, um, this is not going to be exactly a typical episode of the show in certain ways. In other ways, it will. It's possible you don't know who Peter is. Peter has um, written, uh, I think, eight songs that Celine Dion sang. He discovered... Uh, Vanessa Carlton, and worked on her first album, uh, Avril Lavigne, and worked on her first album, wrote songs with her, okay. and uh, has had many more uh, successes as a songwriter. But you said something the other day to me when we were talking, that, I, and I was like, oh, this is incredible insight into um, something that I think about a lot, which is about how people decide what they're going to do, how creative people figure out what they want to be. And, um, you know, you were, at a very young age an exceptionally gifted and a uh, great guitar player and Thank had uh, a lot of renown for that from 13 years old, like locally and then nationally. And the other day we were talking and you said, uh, you said in a lot of ways being a prodigy was no fun at all that you spent a lot of time in your life reacting. Cause I, you know, many people feel like, uh, and, and it certainly was the case for me that, uh, at a young age, oh, if, if you're not obviously exceptional, you can forget it. And, you know, that was hard for me for a long time. And I would look at you and think, well, that's what an artist looks like. But you said for you, it had a different kind of pressure. So yeah. can you talk well, about that?
1: Sure. because And, and it's more in hindsight that, that you realize that. Sure. Because at the time what what happens is it actually makes you feel really entitled and i think it sets you up for potentially a really lousy work ethic and i think it also uh, you don't get at the time that a big part of why you're so sensational to people is because of your age so as you get older it's like this huge sort of sort of hammer that drops where the fact that you're young is not a factor anymore. Now you're just a guy that's good at what he does, and there's a lot of other guys that are good at what you do.
0: because other people like to put put all this time in
1: right. uh, wanting to get great at the thing, right? The playing field gets totally leveled. and the prodigy thing, I think is I think it's a curse because it's too too much of why you're getting the attention is because you're so young and so good. So what does that even really mean, right? Are you good for your age? Or are you good for any age? If you're good for any age at a young age, then you're going to catch up to yourself. You know, I see some of these videos on YouTube. Where it's like a 13-year-old yeah. kid that plays drums like Billy Cobham. And all I can think about is, yeah, but like in 15 years, he's still going to pretty much play like, <laughs> how much better can you get? How much faster can you paradiddle, you know? And and I think that at the time, it set me up, along with, I think, part of my home life, which we also talked about, um, I think set me up for something that I was sort of expecting to happen that really just... Almost never happens. Which is just the minute your feet hit the pavement. That's what I was after thinking, yeah. school. Instant success.
0: Yes, you obviously your mom, uh, your people around you always told you you were great. I mean, people wonder it's it, you know it's like um when a girl is singled out at a young age for being a mo- you know uh, uh, recognized and asked to be a model, and everyone around that person, you have to work really hard if you're that person to develop sort of into a complete human being who, because you're at, at such a young and impressionable age, people are telling you how great
1: you are, how special you are, yeah. very hard to resist it. And people get stuck in that era of their lives. They never they never graduate from that, you know, even in a professional way. You know, you think of like, in a personal way, some people can never let go of their childhood, right? It's like that movie Chuck and Buck, you know, or... Yeah. But but as a professional, it's sort of the same thing because you, you always want to be seen as i still want to be seen like a prodigy in my like when i'm in a studio and i'm meeting someone for the first time there's still this little part of me that thinks that they're recognizing that i'm this young brilliant artistic talent and i'm still trying to get my head around the fact that i'm this middle-aged guy now with a lot of abilities and it's really just completely on my work ethic and my clarity of vision and focus to get anything done and be successful just like anybody else.
0: Right, you had to learn how to work really hard, but then that little spark inside of you that 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 would react to that kind of praise and would sparkle and light up. Yeah. You still yeah. you still even now being kind of aware of it, Completely. like the the uh, the patterns grooved so intensely in, in your oh, head, yeah. the endorphin release
1: that part of you still needs it. The first time that I ever had, well, we'll get into this too because I had a, a, a bit of training uh to, to hear this from your dad because he was at least sort of this voice of reality, you know, in, in a business that I yeah. wanted to get into, you know, you, your father was basically my first publisher along with you, um, at a very young, you know, precocious age, I got a, I got a, like a writer deal. Um, but, right. but before we, if you were going to jump into that, we can jump into that in a second. But, um, but that was a bit of a prep for the the cold hard reality of my getting in the out into the world and not everybody just genuflecting at my ability. There were look, I mean to be honest, there were a lot of people early on that recognized and I got I got I got some places pretty quickly. I had, a, I had my first charted single uh on in Billboard Hot 100 by the time I was 24 writing Latin hip hop songs because I could adapt to that. And it had a blazing guitar solo in the middle of <laughs> right. it, but, That you played. That I played, yeah, yeah. But What um, song is that? Whispers by Karina. Yeah, don't look it up, people. And all no, the no. remixes Jay's exist. Oh, put that, like right, on the, the, put that right, right in the show notes. Let, let's say it sounds dated. I, I'm going to say that one doesn't wear very but, well. Uh,
0: but I, I, just, I do want to take a second to talk about, because when people hear this or, or Prodigy, I mean, you, you remain an ex- exceptionally gifted and talented musician. You work really hard at it. But when we were kids...
1: You did have you had perfect pitch, right? Yeah. When what does that mean? Perfect pitch. Perfect pitch means I can basically hear a note and tell you what the note is. Uh, I could remember a record I heard ten years ago and sing it right now a cappella for you in the key that the recording is in. Although I will tell you that my my pitch has shifted. This is fascinating to me, and I actually don't care about this. I, I'm I'm off by about a half step now. I'm reliably flat. Or sharp by about a half step.
0: Not in recognizing it, in in reproducing it. You're exactly,
1: I, it's almost uncanny. I'll be a half step off.
0: But that was a, I it's really some weird. Kind of aging. Thing. I, I guess
1: something happens between your your ear and your brain. I don't know. Yeah. But uh, it doesn't but but also, you thing. could hear a song one time and play it. Sometimes, sure, sure, yeah, yeah, a lot, yeah. It's, it's, you know, these are not that valuable uh, uh, talents. I have to say some Levine said when you had David on your show, not that long ago, he said he had this sort of theme about I'll take grit and determination over natural gift any day. And I've come to feel the same way. I'd almost rather be less talented than I am and realize that I have to work harder. Um, because I was brought up to believe that anything I did was brilliant. There's a, here's an interesting anecdote. When I was like, I don't know, eight, nine years old, I got really obsessed with Dante's Inferno, but it's not that I ever really read it. I just was obsessed about it. The idea idea of what it was about. And I kind of started reading and it was like Canto one. And I got about a paragraph in and, you know, saw something else and, you know, glazed over but I was kind of obsessed with the kind of thing of it. And I, and I, I started writing a canto of my own. Like, I saw Sally Forth and and, 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 and it, you know, it, filled, it, it you know, petered out uh, after about a, a half a page. And my mother somehow in her mind to this day says to people in front of me, he rewrote Dante's Inferno. He read it when he was eight, nine years old and he thought, that's eh, all right. I could do better. <laughs> and i sit there and I look I don't even bother correct her. I just kind of look at them like yeah. <laughs> they, you know and, and I just I I don't know what to do with it anymore I I've I've corrected her so many times upset her straight so many times but but that's the thing that hurt me I think when I was younger was that anything I did was Jean it was never even right. up to me it was this divine any mistake I made it was well you're an artist you're an artist this is this is what artists do you know any any failings in my life if i go to my mother she'll say you're an artist that that's why well she was a great concert pianist yeah, she still is a is a wonderful uh, pianist wonderful player but just it's a, it's a very limiting view and it's a very misleading view you know rather than you know well how do you think at the time
0: like what do you do you think it had at a young age certain positive effects also, in that
1: it enabled you to take creative risks without, at a young age, without risk of, of failure. Yeah, it was very validating. Sure, I mean, it's sort of, it, it, it's absolutely. Uh, I felt wide open to just go nuts and explore and listen. And she actually liked this music that I was listening to. My father did too. They actually loved Van Halen. They even came, I think, with us the first time we saw them. Um, the Women and Children First Tour. Women 19... and Children First Tour. Right. Eighty. Yeah, yeah. When my dad was wearing slacks, I remember I told them to dress cool and slacks was, was the, they still took us to the concert you know that
0: was pretty cool and they
1: sat far away far away from us remember they told whole, whole other place. i just remember meeting them after like yes meeting yeah. them afterwards yeah, yeah they his... let us alone
0: yes i i think what's look it's important to, to me because when i tell the story of my own and people ask me often you know my own story in becoming uh someone who lived like a a life driven by creative pursuits you know, that didn't happen to me until I was 30 years old. Right. And part of it, I know, was like looking at you and thinking, well, that's what somebody who can do this looks like. And I think that happens to a lot of people is they, they think, well, if I were somebody who, who would be able to do something creative, I'd already be really proficient at it. And I guess right. for you, the reverse was... I
1: mean, you too thought, oh, you have to be touched somehow. Right. Right.
0: You would separate the world into people who could be and couldn't be. What was
1: interesting watching your journey through this has been like, if I now look back, where you were just like kind of my de facto manager at the time. Yeah. Pretty much. But the seeds were there. I look back and there's so much about the aspects of, of, of your stories that remind me of, of your style as a person, as a, anecdotally knowing you, you know, and hearing them and, and, and things that you say. And then I start thinking, he always said shit in a way that I would never forget. Like you would say things in certain ways that were so perfectly worded and, and so funny. And uh, and it, so it all makes sense. If I, if I codify it all today, it makes sense. Sure, looking back. Looking back. at the time,
0: it to me seemed... Uh, it all seemed impossible. And so when you said the thing the other day that it, you felt burdened by it, I just thought how, how funny it is that we all go through life sort of uh, uh, seeing why maybe the path of the other person seems simpler mm-hmm. than our
1: path. Yeah.
0: Right. Or seems like like our, and our own burdens, which seem so
1: obvious to us, can seem in, invisible yeah. to other people. Well, they were, I mean, I didn't know it was a burden at the time. You know, I think right. it, it's really, I think when you are a quote unquote gifted kid, you feel like an adult trapped in a kid's body. That's sort of the cliche of it. And then when you grow up- Is that what up, it felt like to you? Oh, absolutely. I well, felt like a grown up in a kid's body. From when? As far back as I can remember. I, and I think I was set up to feel that way. Again, that was a, that was a parental thing and I was set up, but like I, I was this. I was this old spirit that had was coming through. And I was in this boy, but I was this old, old talent. And that, and that, so it was already, so there was this preordained kind of thing about what was ahead for me. And I had to do some pretty fancy mental footwork once I was out in the world after my father died in those next years, it kind of reassessing and going, oh, this is not at all what, what I thought it was going to be. Like, I, I thought this was just going to happen you know what, what do you mean you thought you were just going sort of to come a rock star yeah basically. i really did i you know late 80s right I, I thought okay there's phil collins there's george michael there's prince there's, you know steve winwood whatever i and me i thought i was going to be one of those play every instrument kind of guys in the studio does it all writes the song sings plays everything and my edge would be that i then i could shred you know during the solo and um it didn't... I'll give myself a little credit. It didn't take me very long to realize it. it wasn't the path that I wanted, but I remember my mother, in the wake of my father's death, Yeah, she liked psychics, and she'd go to them sometimes, and she took me to one once. And the psychic did a reading with me, and in the reading, she said, yeah, th- you know, things are going to happen for you. It's going to take... And I say this now, and how, how I feel this number now is so different from that. It's going to take about three years. She might as well have said... 80 would be the age that I'd figure it out. Like, three years? Really? Three years? You know, and then, by the way, to contradict it, uh, the summer after I graduated, not long after the passing of my dad, like, I, I was very angry about something that wasn't happening, or someone hadn't called me back, or I don't know what it was, and she goes, yeah, you were way too jaded and bitter for someone that's been out of school for six weeks. And I didn't see it that way, because I was set up to think, no, this is all supposed to be working. I'm now in my life, I right. did college, which I think I always thought I had to do, which kind of didn't make a whole lot of sense, given that I knew what I wanted to do, and that didn't require a, a bachelor's degree in, in anything. But, but she, but she I uh, you know, i and I'm not blaming her. I just, I really thought it was going to be an instantaneous thing based on how it was set up. So, yeah, going back to a couple minutes ago, like, I felt like I was this grown-up in this kid. And then as I got older, I started to feel in a much more honest way the artist in me as this child right and i'm an adult and now i figure out how do i handle this kid how do i how do i let this kid out right actually it, allow just the the artistic kind of like the way impulse. You probably figured, found him, you know because I didn't know you even wanted to be a writer, right? So once you figure that out, yeah, it's like a child, right and you' and, and you got to let that kid out let you know there's a certain freedom. Well, I mean in but you, but need you
0: had to. to kind of chip away this um, idea of what it meant to be that thing in order to be the thing in order to become the thing. Yeah. This episode of the moment is sponsored by Draftkings. Football is back and there's only a week of preseason games to go before the regular season and you could start the season by winning two million dollars in week one at DraftKings.com. It's the biggest fantasy football contest ever. $10 million in prizes are up for grabs, including $2 million for first place and $1 million for second. It's fantasy football on demand. Play where you want, when you want, with the players you want. It's that easy. You've never experienced football like this. Every game feels like the playoffs, and every spectacular catch could take you closer to a $2 million prize. This isn't fantasy as usual. This is DraftKings. Welcome to the big time. Hurry to DraftKings.com now and use the promo code MOMENT to play free for a shot at $2 million in the week one Millionaire Maker. Enter MOMENT for free entry now at DraftKings.com. That's DraftKings.com. When you first started playing guitar, because it's really interesting to me, like, that whole idea of, like, a lot of people have mothers who tell them they're great, but you had a tremendous amount of outside validation, too, you had a tremendous amount of uh, people outside, right? Because you would have known that, like you, yeah, you would have known you were a huge well, supporter. <laughs> well, because you were, you know, dude, you're a great guitar player and musician. But no, but it wasn't just us; it was a big group of people. But I'm wondering when when you first picked up the guitar, when you started playing music, do you remember having being able to gain like mastery over it very quickly? Did you? did it not feel like work to you because it was just so much fun? Like, what What was that sort of dawning of your
1: musical life like? It was really, uh, it was very organic. Um, I had a, a really terrific teacher who looked like a cross between Brian May and Jimmy Page. So that That's made him incredibly uh, yeah. cool and iconic, and he had the sunburst Les Paul and the whole thing. And within about a year and a half, he said, you know, as a rock player, you really play better than I do. And, you know, he started kind of showing me some classical things. He was a very versatile guitar player. His name was Bob Ankner. Bob, if you're out there, reach out. I'd love to catch up, see what you've been up to. I think he was 23 years old at the time, and I was like 12. But um, I don't remember it being easy to get good at the guitar. I think I just really loved it and was obsessed with it, and 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 I got good. But here's the thing. It's an interesting question because you know, in act one of any creative endeavor, there's the there's the honeymoon period. There's where you fall yeah. in love with it, and you're going to do this, and it's incredible, and you have this aptitude. Then you hit act two, where the work actually comes in, and you start hitting walls, and you start doubting yourself. And then the second half of act two is when you feel like, I can't do this. Like This is just going to beat me, and a lot of people give up. I think I kind of, in act two, decided that Act one was, was great. And I wasn't going to go a whole lot deeper. And I think with rock guitar, you could, you could stay with just ear and just, and just like enjoy it and, and get, and, and I didn't love practicing. And what's interesting now as a producer of younger artists, it's a mantra. And I, I hearken harken back. It's like, I get why you don't want to practice. You know, I get it. It sucks. I do this with my son, you know, I, I get that this part sucks. What but do you mean with your son? Because well, he's a really great writer. He's a he's an incredible talent. He's an incredible artist, and he's a lot like me. In, in that he's he he can do it uh, without a lot of work. You know, he really really can do a lot of things very easily. He's given a lot of gifts, and because of that, I'm in this really complex position of I don't want to be like my mother was with me. But also, he's been through a lot of other things. so I, I I don't want to push him in a direction that maybe he's not ready to go when he's this young, because, really, what's the point? Again, going back to the prodigy thing, why does he need to be this child genius? Why can't he just continue to fall in love, continue to to evolve? And I think I'm really happy that I'm taking that tact with him. i'm I put pressure on him. I do pressure him, and I'm consistent with that pressure. But I more pressure him to explore it and to stay at it and to get better. You know, do you have to be a big singer, songwriter, pop star? Not necessarily. Uh, you know, now he's starting to really get into house music and, and doing tracks and, and that but kind of But it seems thing. like
0: he has taken, uh, and it's funny because you have two kids. Mm-hmm. Your older son is a musician. Your mm-hmm. younger son is a really wonderful uh, writer about
1: film. Yes. He's like a budding film journalist. Yeah. Yeah. Big time.
0: But your your older one, who's a sophomore in college.
1: About to be. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh I mean, again, it, it is interesting because, again, like with you, but the, the the world is different now because of YouTube. Mm-hmm. I mean, he gets this sort of acclaim. His name is Ari and mm-hmm. gets this sort of acclaim from lots of different quarters.
1: He too. does. Right. He does accept that the world of YouTube is tricky in that if you don't do it constantly like there are kids out there that are like every five minutes they're posting content and they're the ones that are building up these multi-hundreds of thousands of followers and millions and millions of views but these are kids that clearly know that they want to build a brand this is what they want to do and they're incredibly focused and they probably in another life would be a great business person and run a company you know I, I say a lot lately that I think Taylor Swift would be one of the great CEOs if she weren't in music she's just a brilliant she branding is also a CEO, genius obviously. she is yeah, uh, of, her, of, her, of, her art, of her artistic business but um um, but with Ari, um, in my gut, I feel like he's still figuring it out. So I don't necessarily, if he doesn't want to, I don't need him to be the kid that's posting a new cover video every five days. Unless that's what he wants to do. In other words, if you want to be a successful singer-songwriter, then this is what you absolutely have to do in today's music business. But I don't need you to be that. And I'm not expecting you to be that. That's the that's sort of the the Right. The, the, it's the interesting. That, but at
0: least the fact that you are... Um, actively sort of thinking about how
1: actively, to parent oh, actively thinking about how to parent that does separate you from like what you got yes Yes, no. There's no presumption of anything. Like, I, I, I absolutely take... don't know where Ari will end up in terms of, I. as long as it's at happy, you know, and at successful in his mind. Whether he could be a physics professor, I don't care. I just want him happy. I want my relationship with him to be strong. And I love that he's in the creative arts. But it's also, you know, you couldn't really, other than the restaurant business, I don't think you could pick a harder thing to do. To so be a, a creative business person. It's a very... It's, it's an oxymoron. It really is. This episode of The Moment is sponsored by Audible. I mean, there's no, there's
0: no advertisement easier for me to do than an Audible advertisement. I listen to audiobooks, and I have for years and years. I was just scrolling around my Audible, which I share with my kids, because I want to recommend a specific book. And I'm going to recommend The Art of Learning by Josh Waitzkin. And Josh was a chess prodigy which is why this ties in perfectly with today's show, which is about a guitar prodigy. And The Art of Learning is about the way that Waitskin broke down for himself and then for us, how he went about becoming a chess master at such a young age, and then how he became a martial arts master. It is a book about growth, about meaning, um, and about mastery. And it's a book I love, and I listened to the book. Josh Waitzkin narrates the book. So if you haven't tried Audible, here's what's great. Audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook of your choice and a free 30-day trial membership. Just go to audible.com slash moment and choose from over 180,000 audio programs. Download a title free and start listening. It's that easy. Go to audible.com slash moment. That's audible.com slash moment and get started today. Josh Waitzkin, The Art of Learning is my Audible pick of the week. Now, back to the show. And I want to go back to the moment where where you talk about uh, getting to the place where, because you said yeah, you, know, you were looking at the charts and it was Phil Collins and Prince and George Michael, mm-hmm. people who play every instrument and sing, and and you said you said sort of like um, in a way happy about it that you quickly changed gears, mm-hmm. but. Like why? Are you, why are you happy about that? Well, why are you? Why is it? Well, like as I remember thinking about it when we were twenty three, and you said, "Oh, I'm not going to try to be an artist. I'm going to try to be. I'm going to be a producer, writer." I remember I'm the actual
1: moment. I was thinking on the way here. Well, oh wait, there was a moment.
0: Well, literally, had a few,
1: I think. But right, but 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 the moment where I made that transition was it was a post Tony Robbins. I remember it too. Yeah, I know you were living in that other place. Yeah, was, uh, near your. Uh, uh, I was on my property. Like, yeah, the, where your parents apartment. were in this little apartment. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I had done the personal power uh, thing, the Tony Robbins thing, and um, I was literally shaving and looking in the mirror, and I just thought, why, why is it that I need to be the performer? And the guy writing and producing. I I also like this little studio thing where I'm creating stuff. Like, why do I have to be out there? It was such a pain in the ass, really. Which part? The performing. I mean, at that stage, like the gear and the gigs and who's coming and the record deal and the schlepping and the, the band. And I had somebody investing some money in it at the time. And. And, it, and I think you know I, mean, I think there was a fear aspect of it I don't know that uh, that that maybe I shouldn't have stuck with it a little longer I, I think you need more than a couple of years to really make a go of it but I was also liking the experience of being in the studio and just creating and, and thinking I have an endless career if I do this if I'm a performer that's what it was I kind of went okay so let's say a miracle happens I get a record deal all right then it'll be another miracle that I actually get to make a record. Then it'd be a miracle if the record actually comes out. And if the record comes out, it'd be a miracle if I have a hit that drives sales and it becomes a successful record. Then it's a miracle if I have a second hit. And if I have a second hit, it'd be a miracle if my second album does anywhere near as well as the first one or is as well received. And it all just looked so like kind of unidirectional. And I thought... There's so many things that I could do, and I guess this conspired there's a lot of things I felt like I could do, and I felt like in a weird way, it was more limiting to go that route than to just be in the studio and just have an infinite number of lives writing songs, making records and um and soon after I discovered, I really loved developing talent and and, and working with other artists so yeah but i
0: I wonder I wonder like if you could go back to that spot if you would say to yourself.
1: Maybe try a little longer. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's 50-50. I, I don't because know you that loved I would Because perform- oh, you were somebody who loved uh, being on stage. Yeah. And the art, the act of connecting and performing. Well, you know what's really interesting? It, it, here's a little tiny smidge, and it's going to come with a bit of a brag. But So, you know, I've been, I've been writing songs for children's television shows also. Yeah, and I, you won
0: an Emmy Award Won an Emmy two it. years yeah. ago. Then
1: I was nominated the following year. And for best song, best original song. And that was a bigger deal to me because of the Emmy was for sort of overall composition and musical direction. So I won it along with a couple other people. Right, We shared, we each got one, but this was just my song. It was the only Nickelodeon song that was nominated. And every single sung song Played, engineered, mixed note was me. There was no one was else ever used to. It was all me. It was what I wanted to What's do. What's the song called? It's called Spring Has Sprung. I wrote it for an animated show called Peter Rabbit. It's a beautiful little 40-second pop explosion. And I have a certain John Mayer-esque vibe in my vocal that they liked and they went with. And so it felt like one of those things I did in my in my post-college. Uh, a little apartment when I was trying to be an artist. It, it, it felt that free. You know, in the limitations of writing for these children's shows, there's an incredible amount of freedom because I don't have to think as much about what currently is the snare sound that's on Top 40 radio. Is it 808 claps with a snare under? it? Is it just claps? Is it a big snare? Are we tight drums? Are we big, roomy retro? I don't, to them, I am Dr. Dre at, at his peak to these people. I'm the edgiest guy that they got, right? So I can just... Do what I what sounds great to me as a pop songwriter, producer. When I saw that nomination, yeah, and I think it's because I sang it and I played everything on it, I burst into tears. It was it was like a sure. an almost Sally Field Academy Award <laughs> moment. Like you. Just because, right. But it, it, it was just this this unbelievable validation that with no outside input at all, this was my move and that was what I got. And I and I, I just won another theme an actual theme song to a new Nickelodeon show that's going to air next year. And the theme is also me singing. And I didn't, wasn't going for this. I said, no, they like your vocal and your vocal's going to be on it. And I had that same little moment of like- What song is it? What it's show? A, it's a it's a brand new show. It's called Rusty Rivets. Um, it's about a uh, um, this character who makes these amazing inventions in his backyard. Like and you laboratory. wrote and sang
0: and played the theme right, song. Right,
1: it's the same kind of thing. It was it was a pitch though. Like I, they went, they, they usually did, go, they to, go to like you know, a bunch me, of people like Adam won, Schlesinger, people me, like that. And- and I won the oh, theme. Oh, messenger, he's good. Oh, they've got a really yeah. No, it's, it's he's amazing. There's he some great guy guys that they go to from right? fountains away, I mean, that oh my guy's god, unbelievable. Yeah, 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 he's incredible. So um, they picked you I, the, Yeah, I don't know if they went to him on this one. I, well, I probably maybe I'm I was com- <laughs> maybe yeah. I was competing <laughs> just, with you like, know Harvey yeah. Schwartz. Yes. a Name my father would always say when he didn't know the name of the guy Harvey Schwartz. Um, but I, I I say that not so much as a brag, but but just sort of riffing on the idea that being an artist like that still resonates with me. If I even have that little thing and it's me singing, um, it feels very artisty to me, you know, even though it's a very, very commercially geared endeavor because I'm singing it and I'm performing it. Um, but I don't know if I'd go back and... and, and, and No, I'm, still, I'm asking yeah, if know. you...
0: Because, well, I don't know, your smile is interesting because like obviously you've led this life where you've had a lot of success doing doing this stuff. Sure. But you did also make that shift before you could have officially, like, failed.
1: Right. No, no, I... Oh, yeah. No, no, no. I... Yes. No. I literally showed up at the game, looked at the other team, and ran home. <laughs> Just decided to do a different sport. Yeah. No. I And I think there was a certain amount of fear. I think there was a certain amount of pushing the boulder up up an impossible mountain. But I think there was also other, other doors that were opening that, that seemed really tantalizing and kind of infinite. And I think... I just kind of went. Why not? Why? What is this thing that I have about? I mean, I might as well have been an actor. You know, like like why didn't I just be an actor? I think today, I, I to be honest with you, to do it all over today, I think it's just as likely I might have I might have been a writer and an actor because I I do to this day absolutely love and you know that I love uh, to write. I, I love to write, write, and I hope that someday I can monetize that in some meaningful way. And I say meaningful not so much in the selling the amount of money, but more something that I really loved and was a labor of love that that, that brought something into my life. Um, uh, And I'm a big fan of that as well. So we can all look back at it. Yeah,
0: but I wonder, like, it's even as you're talking, you know, you you talk about your mom and the artistic thing, but your dad was a a businessman who saw everything in a very kind of black and white way.
1: Right, but he was a businessman or who wanted could to be have an opera an singer. Yeah. And he was a great musician. Well, he was a
0: real opera singer. He but died young. That, yeah, uh, but he also
1: played tuba and drums and he could play the piano. I mean, he was, you know, he wasn't a finisher. This is a... one of the great things I learned from my father was that you have to finish things. Like you can't, you know, you have something, you know, this for me, like the screenplays that I've written in the mornings or the short stories or whatever else, I, f- I finish them. I, I, and, and I think of my father and and sort of the pursuits that he had. And he just didn't see those things through. And I don't think he was ever happy being a Wall Street guy. He was smart enough to be one, but I don't think it was, it was ever but what he What do you think it was that even
0: at a young age that when you, you, you and, and still even now when you're talking about the, you know, you have to, this measure of sort of wanting to make sure that there's... Sort of business justification for it, like
1: right? W- w- oh, we're going to get into that. That's well, yeah, w- that's huge. Yeah, that's what is huge. that? Ah, uh, well, you know, I, I mean, how much do you realize, looking back at our lives as kids, you know, that my financial reality as a kid, my family, we lived looking a lot more wealthy than we were. Sure. My father made a good living. I look back now and I'm increasingly proud actually yeah. looking back. He actually was doing well, you know, not that though. I mean, we had this like huge house and yeah. car and, and, and there was this, this sort of almost this, this, always oh, this urgency to appear that we were well off. And there was always a little part of me. I'd look at like Ed Grauer, whose father was a surgeon. He lived in a nice house in a nice neighborhood, but I'm pretty sure his father was making more money than my father was. Right, and they lived in a, My they father lived, used to tell me they, that. They lived yeah, my, my, my grandma's father makes more than I do. I mean, I can't afford this place. You know, he would say, we'd have these things. A key moment of my life, this is a moment I talk about a lot. I don't know if I've ever shared this with you. We had these curtains. I don't remember even which window they were open. It's incredible drapes that looked just sumptuous and expensive and, and amazing. And, and one day, I was looking at him. I don't know, it was up against the wall for some reason. I don't know what the hell I was doing, but I... I saw something some glint of something behind them and I and I and I kind of peeled them back a little bit and there was this like mass of like duct tape like they were like taped to the wall with like like my mom did it like you know what I mean it wasn't even like we there was a real window treatment it was like they were just duct taped or electric taped to the wall yeah and that became this metaphor and then as my father was dying I kept finding out I had found out that he actually made a lot less money than I realized. And I got a sense increasingly of, of his true self-esteem, which was very low, very, very low. And more and more, he seemed like a beaten down guy in my eyes. And and he literally withered away, right, in front of me. Yeah. Which was huge, hugely terrifying for a, a, a young man to grow up and have your father wither away in front of your for eyes. Sure. And I think growing up with you and your father to to me was iconic your father was someone who i wanted my father to, to be more like and what i mean by that is not even so much in terms of dollars and cents but in terms of there was a there was a self possession that he had and from everything in terms of where he shopped for his clothes i remember being being on our way home he was driving us either back to your house or mine or and he stopped because he liked these this clothing store it was in Roslyn this little sort of mom and pop yeah. and, and there was like a sweater and he had to pick something up that he was having tailored and, yeah. and I watched him in there and you were kind of going like is he going to buy that sweater I'll bet he's going to buy that sweater and I thought my father would never do this like, and I wanted so much for my father to be for lack of a better word that selfish about sort of his own appearance and his own sort of you know success in the eyes of others I, I wanted to have an entrepreneur for a father and I admired your dad so much Right, which that. is
0: funny because all I think of my dad uh, as, of course, my father was a great entrepreneur. When, and there's no, uh, but for me, it was just uh, his like endless and tireless support of me. Well, that <laughs> the was the opposite of selfishness. Right. He was like the least selfish. Per- he oh, was actually part of it. The yeah. most generous person I knew. Oh yeah, no, no, still, no he's still the most generous yeah. person I've ever met. Right. Well, which is interesting. Like because you're t- I understand what you saw was somebody who who was. Um, to me, what it, what 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 my dad always inspired, and this is great because you're on something which is he's authentically who he is. Yeah, and so he's he's
1: just not um, putting on stuff that he isn't. But here's what's so weird about 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 my adult life with you, especially, and that's the part that you you actually said the second half of that for me. Which the other piece of it was his friendship with you. You guys were like buddies, and. I've tried in my adult life. I I have said, literally, I want to be the way Brian's dad was with him with my kids. I want them That's to look great. up to me like that, like that. And I want them to be my friends like that. At the same time, I'll shut their asses down when I have to. Which isn't very often because they're absolutely the sweetest, loveliest... Two guys you'd ever want to meet, but I think about that. I told you recently it was at like your forty fifth birthday party, maybe yeah. it was. Well, um, yeah, I'm forty nine, so that was the last birthday party. You don't get to have them. Right. You have them no, twice a decade at most. Now, twice a decade yeah. is what you get. So yeah, forty five yeah. next year yeah. it'll be fifty. Yeah, but I remember watching your dad sitting with you when you had that singer at your apartment, and he and he had his hand on your shoulder. He was kind of rubbing your shoulder, and I thought this is like me with Thomas and Ari. This is the same way, and it's not something I have to put on. It's just the way I am with them, and I'm so grateful that. As hard as it was to see your closeness with your father and and want for it in, in my own life, sure. that I've been able to remember that and turn it into a positive in the way I'm parenting my kids because I thought you had great parents. And I, by the way, I didn't have a bad father. Um, and my mother was a wonderful mother in a lot of ways. But but there were, there was some, you know, when you get to be adults, you look at your parents, and go, oh, they're these two idiots that had kids yeah. and they, they had to figure it out just like I've had to figure it out. But it was, it was there was a certain kind of friendship th- and, and a way that you looked at your dad that I want my kids to look at me. That was because
0: I always knew uh, we were his priority. Like yeah. he just put, he, you know, he was a disciplinarian for sure. Oh, yeah. But he didn't spend a lot of time with, uh, Telling us we were geniuses, I'll tell you that. Right, you, were, you know, in a good way. He was like, right. "You're smart enough to do whatever the hell you want." Well, now
1: work to b- now work at if it. If you want to write, write. That was I yeah, mean, well, yeah. You know I mean, long before you you did it on Vine, you said that to me, and I thought it was hilarious and so fantastic. And yeah, when I went to him after spending days thinking about how I would say, "I
0: want to be a writer," It was going to be
1: this whole heartfelt long conversation, conversation. Yeah. and he said, oh, "If you want to write, uh, write, write." Yeah. Oh. I didn't realize my version of that with your father was a time when he was, you know, for the two years that he was sort of my publisher and I, and I, he was saying to me something about my lyrics that you don't have to be so clever all the time. Line by line, you don't have to have a genius turn of phrase in every single line of your song. Keep it simple. And I said, and I started quoting uh, Hello by Lionel Richie and Suddenly by Billy Ocean, which if you, I won't sing them for you now, but if you look at the, the lyrics, they're just inane. They sing well. Like, like phonetically, they sing well, and I'm singing to them, thinking I'm making this huge point that I'm landing this huge thing about greatness and songwriting, and how it's not there, but that it needs to be what I'm doing. Oh, you you're saying him how i singing, right? Sang, trying yeah. to say to your him like, look at these the idiots. One and more, one thousand words are not enough to say what I feel inside. Hold the hands as we walk along the shore. Never felt like this before. You're all I'm living for. Come on, before rhyming with four? I think I even said that. And then your dad looks at me and goes, Peter, those songs are big, big hits. And that that was my version of you want to write, write. It's, he just said, Peter, these songs are big hits. Like, figure it out. There's a reason these songs are resonating with people. This is clearly what you have to communicate. So now my version of that is, I if I'm writing a song, I'm in a collaborative situation, or I'm writing it myself, I'll go down into Starbucks or maybe I'll go into McDonald's once every couple of months and I look at the people standing online and I go, Are they gonna get this? Like I'm singing my song in my head and I'm looking at these people and I'm going, Are they gonna understand what the hell I'm writing about? Because if I don't feel like they're gonna connect to it, then clearly I'm 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 in my own world and I need to think And you need right. to think about it. It's so own. interesting because you know, like as you know,
0: like I never think about that stuff. Right.
1: And I was raised, raised by that right. person. Well, we didn't get to a, a one thing that 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 you asked me. Like, why was this a sort of business yeah, right, codification right. Yes. for all the creative? Because i i I wanted, I wanted real success because it was fake. Growing up, the, the what looked like our financial reality was artifice. It was ersatz luxury, and I wanted. I, I made a vow. Val- I'm never gonna like as an adult. Look like I'm successful when I'm really not. I I I want my success to come from what I'm talented at, and I want that to look real. And it doesn't mean I want to be flashy. I mean, you know, I, but but it's very important. Yeah, success is, and I think it's it complicates things because it do, it limits you. It do, it does limit you.
0: Yeah, in like terms I, of what you pursue. Well, yeah, that, that's what I wonder because you actually have all the stuff that your mother said you did in terms of being an artist. Mm. You've been distinguished at every, sort of, like at every one of those phases along the way. Like even that thing you said about you still want people to look at you as a prodigy. I mean, I've seen other musicians talk to you. Still, when you pick up a guitar and play it, you don't walk into a room where anybody doesn't go, holy shit. I mean, you told me the story about going on stage
1: two years ago with Robert Randolph. Yeah, that was fun. That was fun. I had to to work it up for that though. Yeah, sure. (laughs) That was fun.
0: But, uh, Whereas I felt like, um, like I would never think about whether somebody in, not that I'm, I would think, oh, I'm better than anybody or, but I would just think, well, if I truly express the thing I want to express, then there will be some people out there who will want to
1: connect to it. Yeah, but I, well, I also think you, uh, there's a lot of different types of talent, right? And I think you have to have a talent and it, it's innate. It's not something that you can really be too conscious of so if you have an idea that you want to write about poker and that fascinates you part of the the gift that you have there is that it actually happens to be something that a lot of other people are going to be interested in as well well that was lucky it am well, saying it that's is, the lucky the part luck with talent i mean there is some luck there is i mean but you here's but the thing yeah if you keep doing it the way that you do it Here's a, a good no, metaphor. Yeah, like, yeah, you, you, if you stay yeah. on the same corner, the bus eventually is going to come to you. If you, you know what I mean, it's like if you keep or, switching. Yeah, or like you go back right. to Tony Robbins. as He says in the other way, you know, if you're uh, if you're walking in the
0: wrong, wrong direction, it doesn't matter how long you you, you go. You're going to have to go all the way around the world before you reach the the destination. But like you know, when I was writing Solitary Man, and then finished that script, people would have given me much more money if I would have changed the ending to make the movie. Hmm. But, and I knew, well, I could make these certain changes that would make the thing much more palatable to a bigger group of people. Right. But something I can't. Right. I don't do it for that reason. Right. But I'm... You know, I
1: don't... Well, let me I ask you. I don't want to do it if for If that had been reason. your first screenplay, would you have changed? Today? No,
0: people asked us to make changes in Rounders, that too. They didn't want to make... They wanted... a uh, Spoiler, if you haven't seen Rounders and you're listening to my podcast 20 years later, yeah. I'm just going to spoil the movie. Yeah, it's too...
1: You should have seen it by now. <laughs> but at it's this okay.
0: point, don't, yeah. don't listen to the podcast yeah. if you haven't. Or no, I mean, please do keep listening, but I find it odd. But um, <laughs> because it does come up... That you're going to tell them Zizzo's did, the fat Greek guy? Well, yes, they did name <laughs> the guy, one of the Greek guys after you. But lots of our high school buddies' names yes. are in that movie, all the movies. But uh, people wanted to see the character that's Matt Damon's character Michael go to Las Vegas and win the World Series of Poker. Right. Right then, like, the, people, upon reading the script, said, oh, it, you know, you guys should make that change and then it'll be much more commercial and we could get Tom Cruise to star in it and all this stuff. And right then, David and I said, no. Well, why would we do that? That's not the story that we wanted to tell. Right. Which isn't a... It, it's not a hero story for me. It's a, but But my question is, like... Because you did write a lot of personal songs for a long
1: time, mm-hmm. and I
0: know you must still do that. Mm-hmm. W- why filter it through that one extra layer of cal- calculation?
1: Well, it's very challenging, especially when you when you work collaboratively. Um, I think when you're trying to write something that's going to be commercially successful, you're going to fail every time, unless you just have a talent for writing commercially, commercial material. You know, if you're a guy that... You know, you just have a natural ear for, you know, what, say, Tim Hurley he does or David Cap. Like, that's just really what their artistry is. In my industry, that's Max Martin, who just, his artistry is writing the way he writes. If I try to write a Max Martin song, it's not just going to be very one-dimensional. It's not going to be good. For me, I think I'm back now to, and by the way, you know, and the artists that I've chosen to develop, I mean, clearly haven't all been, I, I tend to pick things that are different that just turn me on in some way. Um, they don't all work. In fact, most of them don't work. A couple have. The one I'm doing right now, I'm actively co-writing all of the songs, which I don't necessarily do. And we're really doing it in a way that feels very, um, very organic, it, at least compared comparative. Like, there's chords in these songs. There's chord changes. There's, there's key changes in these songs. There is angst, but it's lyrically from a point of view that uh, I'm collaborating with somebody I've never worked before named Imani Coppola an an incredible Uh, singer-songwriter who uh, had a a hit in the 90s called Legend of a Cowgirl. You mean the two of you were writing
0: with this artist you're developing?
1: Correct. And what's the artist's name? Her name's Haley Knox. Right. And she's a 16-year-old, absolutely phenomenal singer. I mean, it's like if if Donny Hathaway was a white Yeah, you played me something. She's incredible. Incredible girl. And a great family, and I just, I like the feeling of the, and the team we're putting together, you know, we've got uh, my old friend Steve Greenberg with S-Curve. He's having a huge hit now with... Andy Grammer, it's the, and he's the right guy. He did Josh Stone. He did Diane Birch. He's a, he's kind of crazy when he loves something, and and he'll do it on its own terms, and and see the vision through, and to where people actually almost feel sorry for him because it's so ridiculous, and then it becomes who let the dogs out, you know what right. I mean? So um, with this one, I feel like Imani is an artist, and the way that she's an artist mixes in this really amazing way with the way that i'm an artist and then my producing partner mike mangini is also a really good songwriter and he's usually kind of the dad of a group where he'll let the kids play for a while then dad comes home and just crushes everybody's dreams because like yeah i don't i don't see how this is going to be relevant in any way right And, and 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 in this one he's he's kind of letting his own thing go a little bit and he's pushing for more chords or more sophistication but it's it's working for this artist and and Haley is finding herself as a melodist and as a songwriter and conceptually we're able to sort of react to her energy in a room and write something that you know at 16 you just there's not a lot of life context to inform your songwriting but but she's such a natural and special talent that it just feels like it's this could only be her music. And so for me, in the, for the first time in a very long time as a creator, I feel like this is something that only we could do and nobody else could well, do. that must be a great feeling. And the label we're signing to is going, yeah, we don't want to bring any other writers in. We just want you guys to And you're to just doing those. it. Yeah. yeah. And it's not from an now, ego does that place. Does it feel
0: as good for you as doing the those themes
1: that where you're playing and singing and doing the whole thing? Uh, oh, yeah. And well, here's what's really interesting about it. I and mean, it's kind of—I mean—I I feel a little wistful at the moment because I haven't written written like mornings working on screenplays. Like it's been a month because this past month we've been focused on writing this record, and right. I can't do both. I can't. I can't do. Sometimes you can. Sometimes you can, but when both are these That's wild. That's why I'm asking. You're saying this. You're so into this. I'm, this is so unique in and of itself that I almost want to save the other unique in and of itself writing for when I'm back to either producing this or. Working on something that's a little more like I kind of know what it has to be and I'm going to do that. Uh, This needs all of my creative uh, energy. And you, so you feel like you're actually doing it, like right. you're giving your all. You're you're giving all the best parts of yourself creatively to this. Uh, I, I really do, yeah. But and ironically, it's in collaboration in a way that my ego would have never allowed 15 years ago. I would have been way too insecure. I would have, uh, you know, I would have bumped whoever was next on to me on the piano bench onto the floor and made sure that I had all the best ideas. You know, uh, now it's 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 just all about getting the best. out of that? that? I'm with uh, t- age, time. I don't know. Failure, enough of enough failure, I right, guess. To then
0: go like, okay, I'm going to do it a different I'm way. I'm just
1: over it. I'm over myself. I, I just really want to win, and, and I want to win doing something that makes me happy. And it feels fantastic to let go of that. You know, Some people never can. Right. Some incredible people never can let go of the need to win in terms of the idea or control. Do you mean to look special,
0: like to the special, special one? To look special,
1: like to look like the special one, which was, for me, uh, almost pathologically important for many, many years. But not anymore, not anymore, not anymore at all. You take my idea, throw it right in the trash, and five minutes later, I'll realize you were right.
0: But it seems like you're, it seems like, and especially because you weren't somebody who consciously was like... Trying to grow in a way until later in life than other people,
1: right? No, no, no. I am very, uh, very, very much into understanding myself. I, I think I think everybody should. Uh, you know, more recently, thanks to you, TM has been huge for me. Transcendental meditation is something that's really misunderstood, I think, by people who haven't looked at it because it's really just a technique. It's not a philosophy or a religion or, or a thing. It's not you know, it's not worry beads and incense. I mean, you can if you want, you do whatever you want to do, but. But, over the course of the months that I started doing it, I found that I walked through um any situation personal or create or professional that was challenging and was able to experience the moment in a way more kind of conclusive and open way that wasn't based on the buttons it was pushing in me, fear buttons. You know, I said to an artist not long ago uh, who I was working with, you're making a lot of decisions based on fear. This is someone that wanted to be cooler and wanted to be edgier, wanted to try that. And I said, you're making too many, you're you're making decisions from fear and you don't realize it and you're going to be wrong every time you do that. And now I feel like because of, I, I think this has done a lot. The meditation's done a lot because I just generally feel about 20% more able to process something that emotionally affects me and kind of wait it out and then see sort of the other side of it.
0: It makes you a little less reactive.
1: So much less reactive.
0: This episode of The Moment is brought to you by Braintree, code for easy online payments. If you're a mobile app developer, check out Braintree. Braintree is the payments solution used by companies like Uber, Airbnb, Hotel Tonight, Living Social, and Munchery. Braintree has made the payment experiences in these apps seamless and magical. And now you can add a similar experience to your own app. Check it out for yourself. Braintree gives you a full stack payment solution. Support for all payment types your customers might want. Start accepting PayPal, Apple Pay, Bitcoin, Venmo, cards, and more. All with a single integration across all platforms, With superior fraud protection, customer service, and fast payouts. To learn more, and for your first fifty thousand dollars in transactions fee free, go to BraintreePayments.com/slash moment. So, when you made this decision to become a producer and writer, Mm. not try to be the artist, when it started, then really happening, like what? What did it feel like when the first time you got a huge? cut a huge song like when celine when you heard celine dion was going to sing one of your songs like how did that happen and what were you in a mode where you could stop and kind of like get it and appreciate it or not you're smiling like no so i'm trying to think
1: what that moment was because there were like there were there were series of like your first cut i ever got was was when i was signed with the entertainment company sure yeah it was the weather girls that was a big deal i mean they were coming off a gigantic hit and I, got but that was different because that was
0: like you know your friend's dad helping. Like your right. song was good, but it was your friend's dad like right, right.
1: kind of hooking you up. Right, right. Yes, right.
0: it was a great thing. But I, but I mean, okay, you're a, you know you're out of school. You're sure. kind of
1: flailing on your own. I'm gonna th- I'm gonna talk about two moments. One moment was the first time I heard my Latin hip hop single on the radio. Um I was in a pool. Uh, and I, the Weather Girls song is called March, by the yes, way. And it I love that, that yeah, song. A silly song. <laughs> Another one I don't think is worn very well. But um I so I, I knew that Hot Ninety Seven was playing my song, my single. And it was following up like a a fairly decent sized first single for this artist named Karina. And um and I knew that if I kept Hot Ninety Seven on that there was a good chance I was going to hear it. And I remember being in the pool and because we had a pool, you know, and, uh, and when it came on, it was like a dimensional shift. It was like, I just became sort of weightless time stopped. I didn't know what anything was for about the length of the song. And I, I kind of couldn't process the impact that it was on the radio. And then every time I would hear a song or I have heard a song of mine since then, it's the same moment. I'm in the pool, wait time stops. Right. I don't know Wherever what it means. Does anyone, yeah. is, are people switching the station now? This is ridiculous. So there was that moment, um, but a huge moment of this is real. This is real. I'm actually a guy who does this. And then um, hearing, you talked about Celine Dion a couple of times. And with her, it was weirder because... She was becoming a huge star, and I got on her records right at the time that she was really becoming a huge star. And that was the first time I heard her accent. Was hearing my like her singing my lyrics. I was like, she sounds like like you know, oh, French Canadian. And I just was like, does she sound like this on the other songs? Like 'Cause I'm Your I'm like, does that sounds normal? Why in my lyric does she sound like she's from like Bulgaria or something? It just sounded it uh, sounded silly. It was like this is like Basha doing like a cause my first uh, thing that I wrote that's was so a, interesting. It was weird. And and then I started noticing on other songs like, you know, thoughts you like the it's all coming back to me. Thoughts you Were history with the slamming of the door. You know.
0: Never I mean, noticed the accent. I and mean, don't that. you want her to sing another one? Maybe we should roll the tape back. You really want I mean well, she's I'm gonna not,
1: it, it was just weird. Oh, Would you like it her to sing bad. another one?
0: Maybe she's going to be like, "Okay, Peter, that's it." <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah, that's what you think. Of is me? that it? And I won't. I can... did
1: records. I didn't. I was forced to do these songs. Yeah, I didn't want to. Rick no, Renee made me. Rick Wake made me. He said he wrote them. Um, but no, it, 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 it was just. I thought she sounded incredible. I just. There you go. Yeah. There, there you go. <laughs> 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 Amazing. That's, no, I'm not recovering. She sang.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Man, it was and great. By the way. <laughs>
1: Not that there's anything wrong with an accent. I'm I'm saying this is one of the wonderful things about it. There you go. Um, No, no, no. It was just, it it it. was weird hearing her, her accent. It was definitely, and then I started to find out, oh, her first hit single, she sang phonetically. Like, she's only just recently been even comfortable singing in English. And I never totally got used to that. Um, but I started noticing in other ones of her but songs. But she did sing eight of your songs, right? Something like maybe six. Yeah. All right. Enough. Some, like good. Plenty yeah, of your songs. She's the greatest singer like uh, ever. Uh, amazing. Especially for one who can't even speak English. Oh my God. Yeah. I, I couldn't even thank her. She didn't know what the hell I was saying. It's terrible. Uh, right. And a lovely, lovely, lovely person. And then, and do you feel like, um,
0: because another thing, people always want to like when to Does sa- this play in stand, Canada, this huh? show? Does it? It's when to... I think she's in Vegas, right? Is <laughs> Vegas? <laughs>
1: Did they have the internet there?
0: <laughs> Sorry. When to... Oh, no, no. Listen, here's the thing. There was zero chance that Celine Dion would ever hear this
1: until you made fun of her. <laughs> right. Exactly. Now, now she's going to get an email. It's 100%. <laughs> you know, Ten people are going to send it right to her.
0: <laughs> because that's the way the world works. Yes. It's a uh, cool place. But do you think... I know there were a couple of times... But people always ask, and I. it's so interesting, you know, knowing... And Hearing you talk about the polarity like, of each of your parents, but um, I know there were there were times like I'm thinking about Vanessa Carlton, who you who you found and you made a record with her, and then some record company guy basically like remade it, yeah. note for note, and put his name on and took your name off, yeah. Uh, and you know, your song, you still got credit as a songwriter for whatever you were. No, 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 you didn't. No,
1: I had, but I was a publisher, which was, I made sure of, because I actually believed in her so much as a writer. I wanted her to write the album. I didn't want it. Right, She wrote the album, but I mean, I heard the
0: versions you did and then the versions that came out and you know, they were like basically identical.
1: The bread had been baked. Uh, Let's just put it that way.
0: And, uh, I mean, did that? Did that feel like? Why'd you allow? How did that happen?
1: Well, that ended up being an interesting artistic moment as well. That's what I, yeah, I'm wondering because I, you know, when I first find out, found out that uh, his name's Ron Fair and he and was. Ha, the, has Vanessa ever put the record, like the demos out that you guys did? No, but some of it's on YouTube and um and it still sounds really good to me. I think I did a great job. <laughs> yeah, so
0: you can find those demos that you did because I would love people to yeah, hear them. Yeah, because if you go, awesome. if you go,
1: yeah, they're they're not the sound quality is not the best, which is a little frustrating. But what's a song that's ordinary day in particular, which was her second single after a thousand miles um, is up there. And I I love the production of that. Uh, There was a lyric change that he wanted her to do that I disagreed with. um, And she eventually went back to the original lyric years later. But so Ron Fair, Fair, who's an incredibly talented uh, and accomplished arranger and producer, like a legit guy that should make records. And he was also the chairman of her label. And he called me and he said, this was at a time when the project really had gone down a rabbit hole that had more to do with the A&R person that had signed her personally, just, I don't know what was going on, but he developed a real animosity towards her, towards me, towards my relationship with her. And I wasn't. Savvy enough at the time, I didn't have the acumen yet to know how to handle it. Today, I would have handled it a lot better, but I didn't know how to handle it, and it was just a horrifying experience. And we got kind of shut down because he had convinced Jimmy Iovine to to greenlight signing her. I mean, he liked her. Jimmy I came to the studio; it was a really magical night. And um, he, they, he was kind of taking a flyer with this guy. This was going to be you where you made found, his Van, I mean, you had I found mi- her,
0: found Vanessa. Correct. You were the person who made her demos. Correct. You did. And the And I, I got with her, her the deal. Yeah, I got, got her, her her record mm-hmm. deal. Yeah. And then you were asked to step aside.
1: Well, I wasn't really. I mean, what happened was, wise, yeah, the the project got kind of shut down, which happens all the time. By the way, it's the old first guy in, first guy out thing in the record business. It's very rare that the guy at the beginning is still the guy. At sure. The end. Anyone will tell you that. So. I didn't know that. And, um, but I was, we were almost done. And, uh, but Ron ironically kind of saved the project because he came in at a time that the A&R guy, I don't know whether he was about to get fired, he was just, she didn't want to have anything to do with him anymore. She and I were fine. And, um, and Ron heard the record at an A&R meeting and they said, we're thinking of dropping this. Does anyone want to get involved? And he was like, I think this is amazing. And he called me and he said, I think you've done a spectacular job. I think it's gorgeous. I just want to help you finish I said, "Well, that's incredible." He goes, "But I want to do the single. I think it's thousand miles, and I I want to produce the single." And I, I said, oh, "Okay, I, I can do it with you if you want." You know, uh, again today I would have, I might have handled that a little differently, but at the time I was like, "Great, look, great, I'll take the bullet." Like, just I'm so thrilled that you want to get involved, and then from there I just. You know, he just kind of decided he wanted to do the album. He just had this, I don't think it had much to do with me. I think he just wanted to make her his marquee artist. He wanted it to be a Ron sure. Fair thing. And to give him credit, uh, he he blew her up. I mean, he actually gave her a huge hit uh, and double platinum album. And because I was a publisher on the record to this day, it's it's it, it's a good thing for me. But what was very difficult for me artistically, and there's two things about that that are interesting. I was coming out of a, a long relationship with, uh, with a producer who, not just me, but all the other guys in New York that were signed to his publishing company were really producing records that we weren't getting credit for. So this, for me, was my big coming out as the guy. Right, the person who made and the record. Really and I get bumped record, off the yeah. record by a different person. But what was interesting to me was, and I say this with respect to, to Ron Fair, um, I thought, once I got over it, like the idea that I wasn't going to make the record. I thought, well, Ron's a really, really talented guy. And he's got all access, unlimited budget. I'm sure it's going to be an amazing, and he's got my record and I'm sure it's going to be amazing. And when I heard it, I just didn't like it. I just didn't, I thought... You know, the spark wasn't there. Yeah, I, 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 could, I liked my record better. That's all. And it's just, you know, just I really, honestly, not from an ego standpoint, I just felt like, well, this is not the record I, I wanted her to put out. Um, and I'm happy for the success she had that I had. And I was very much associated with its success. So ultimately, it was all good. But it was a very pure moment for me because I just purely creatively thought this should have been different. You know, I'm sure he didn't feel that way, and he's got the sales to back him up, so I'm happy, but I think for me as a creative person, it came down to very... I was ready to accept the album, I guess is what I'm trying to say. As a human being to go, yep, this actually is going to work and out And what great. decisions did you make sort of in the shadow of that? Did you... I'm not going to let this happen again. I'm not going to... I If I'm going to do something, I'm of 1st I'm going to be more realistic about, about how these things tend to play out. Like with Avril Lavigne, I never for a second thought I was going to be the guy who produced and co-wrote. And I mean, with Vanessa, I decided not to try with Avril. I, I, I didn't think I was ever going to be the only guy. And, and it worked out a lot better because I was, I was one of a few guys and, and it was a, a much bigger win and for everybody. And, um, and a much you know, overall, just a better experience. Um, and now, today, uh, with
0: we, ha- and you feel like uh, you feel like Haley is the person, the person you're working with now is like what this is all in a way. This path has been well. There've been to. others,
1: obviously. You know, I've done all kinds of things, but uh, but but this particular situation I feel brings to bear like decades of learning about the team you put together, what of yourself you put into something, uh, in what way, um, and I think maybe for the first time it's i there's not one aspect of this that i don't even secretly wish was different right now that's awesome yeah. so you're lo- because there've been times you told me you're
0: kind of dis- disengaged from like the music doesn't turn you on as yeah. much it's like earlier this a burden year
1: or something earlier this year i think we had that conversation yeah but you're not feeling that way now you're feeling charged by it right now i'm feeling i'm feeling yeah like lately this project has been really really special and then there's some other things coming down the pike that i'm i'm excited about but that are You know, more for hire, but because I have this, I think it's just, it gets back to where I'm really good at this and I like doing this, even though it's a terrible business, music business is (laughs) terrible. But
0: what about your own, but why do you think you don't write them for yourself?
1: Like, do you think you associate, I'm just... No, no, it's a good, it's an interesting question. I I don't think about it. Um, Every once in a while, as a passing, like, drive-by thought, I'll go... What I write, it's not like I never ever do, but I mean, it's rare. But that was so how you expressed yourself for such a long time. Like you would go
0: through a breakup and you would write about it. Yes. And there were like, and it led to songs that then, like I know Only One Road came out. Like,
1: right, that was a, that was a yes, that was a relationship That's like a, a relationship
0: and you mm-hmm. wrote this song. Mm-hmm. It's obvious like you've been thinking a lot about your life. Mm-hmm. And the way the world is set up now you could record an album for yourself, and it wouldn't matter if five thousand people heard it, and it mattered to them, and you touched them. Like, yeah. I wonder if that would feel <laughs> that, great to uh,
1: you. I, you know, again, now we get into the the financial part of the the, the conversation, which but is that wouldn't cost you anything. To no, do it now. wouldn't, love, but the time it would cost, because I would, I would, it would become an obsession. You know, maybe that lies ahead. I don't know. Maybe at some point I'd want to do it. These days, you just do an EP, though. Full album, I don't know. Yeah, okay. who cares? A
0: couple of tracks, <laughs> just, just a couple, couple of track. songs.
1: Yeah, I mean that's how that one. That's how that Peter Rabbit song felt. It really felt like I'll, I'll, I'll send it to you. It just, it's just a great little song, and I, it's got like, it's got odd time signatures in it, and it's just. It's, it's not even that traditional in terms of the way it lays out because it's 40 seconds long. And really. it's on the show now. People can get It's not regularly on the show. It was a commissioned song for a specific episode. So it was what they call um, 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 featured, whatever. I'm blanking out. But it, it mean, we should
0: totally play a snippet of it at the end
1: of this episode. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Just a quick little bit of Peter Rabbit. Sure. It's only 40 seconds long. You can make it the theme of, of your podcast. It's and very you'll relevant. Be, uh, I should commission you to write the theme for the moment. There you go. You should, write, in fact, you should. Okay, write write us a theme song.
0: Okay, right now it's just the thing that I. Uh, as a, you should write us a theme song.
1: Uh, are you actually asked me to do it. Yeah, I, I'll don't do you it.
0: think he should? You should do it. Yeah, do it. Write okay. us a theme song. Okay, I, I have the right to reject it, but I won't. I don't want to. <laughs> you can <laughs> listen. It's fine. Thank you for doing this. This was yeah. really fun. Where can, can people find you? I think at Pizzazzo. On Twitter. That's where
1: folks can find you. I think so. P, and some
0: of your music is up. Like I guess your Wikipedia probably has some of the some of the yeah. music. I'm trying to be more mention. more
1: more twittery. I should. I, I'm trying to be more twittery lately. Um, I've always been kind of on and off with that. Facebook on um, well, my if, own name. If and, the folks come follow you now, then yeah. you gotta give them a little something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. I'll you know, follow me. I will give you more.
0: And you should totally. Uh, write us a song
1: okay Peter Zizel thank you for doing this thank you Brian uh,
0: I can't wait to hear Haley Knox's album it's and gonna we'll have Haley on the show that when be the incredible. album comes out that be incredible alright great thank um, you um, hey uh, you can find me at Brian Koppelman uh, on Twitter my email bk at gmail.com I read every letter uh, while I'm making this show the television series it's very hard to uh, craft proper responses but I try and I do read them all and uh, really appreciate it and don't send me a tv show idea or a movie idea or a book idea or anything like that because then I'll, I'll hate you okay bye thanks